and we had a fun trip there and got to see a couple of our, my grandkids. One of the things we did, we ended up in Monterey for about four days, five days or so, and we went to an aquarium. And, and I need to put a picture on the screen. And Deanna and I both came out of that aquarium going, God is a creative God, and he, you kind of go evolution, you go not. Um, but this, I don't know if you recognize what this is. This is a seahorse. It, it's called the Leafy Sea Dragon. And, and that is about, the bot, main body there is about four to five inches long. And the ones that we saw in this aquarium tank were even bigger in terms of the leaves. And it actually, they, you, you looked at it first and you go, oh, there's a bunch of leaves in the tank. And, and it was so cool just a reminder how creative our God is. And uh, I, we just kind of came away there both praising God for his uh, ability to create things so uniquely. And so it was a great even day of worship, I think. Let's just begin by prayer as we begin today. So Father, we just... Thank you for your creativity again. And Lord, we also thank you for your word. As we jump into here, this letter, I would ask that you would take the words that we um, are reading today and would you just use it in our lives? Would you help us to live a faith that's real and in, in front of people and, and to influence people for the kingdom? So we give it to you. These things we pray in your name. Amen. We've been looking at this book of 1 Thessalonians. And the part of the reason that way we picked the book is it's such a great model of a church that was living in a world that was antagonistic to the gospel and antagonistic to the claims of Jesus. And I think we're seeing that more and more in our world, and so it represents how we can live in this day and age. And if you don't believe that, just think back to even Thursday, this past Thursday. Uh, I got home late at night and turned on the news and celebrating hundreds of marriages that God would go, no. And, and so in one sense, it was a bit discouraging day for me. But it's a realization yet, when you pause and you think about that, in that the goal for us to make disciples and to make disciples who disciple, the culture really doesn't dictate how we do that. And they can't keep us, they can't keep the church from being effective in disciple-making. But in order to be effective, one of the places or the pieces that we got to put into place is we need to live our lives in front of people. And all too often, I think we have a faith that kind of huddles up sometimes and we want to avoid the world. And God is saying, no, we live in the world. We, we're relational people and we're called to live in front of people. And today, we come to a passage where Paul is talking about a whole series of things that's really dealing with some very practical issues in terms of living our faith. Matter of fact, we're coming to the end of the book here, and we won't finish it today, but, but it's just he fires off all of these statements. And while he doesn't expound on a lot of them, they're still relevant to us. And it still is God's word as we dig into it this morning. So let's start with 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 12. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. 
be at peace among yourselves, and we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Now, in doing the studying for this text, I came across a statement from an author, and he said this, the Christian faith is no faith at all if it is not practiced. And the challenge, I think, within churches and our own lives is that we think of faith and we think of it only as what we believe and what we think about. And we, again, default to that idea of faith. But if faith is going to be real, it needs to get lived out day by day, week by week, in practical ways. So today we head into some very practical aspects again of our faith, and these last 11 verses really flesh out some very practical things. But the first point, practical aspect this morning, let me give you number 10 if you're taking notes in your bulletin. I said it this way, Paul invites us to practice our faith with every opportunity. See, I think God puts opportunities in our lives that where he wants us to respond by how we live our life. And let's start with verse 12 again and just kind of walk through this passage. And it says this, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who, who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. Now there's a translation issue here for me. In one, as I was digging into it and studying, that the English version, this one, and even New American Standard, doesn't really go far enough as to explaining some understanding of this, of this verse. And let me put you the amplified version up on the screen that really gives an aspect that's not written in the English. And I'll read it for you here. Now we beseech you, brethren, and here's, here's the phrase that's there, but it really is not when we translate it, it, we don't get it. Get to know those who labor among you. Recognize them for what they are and acknowledge and appreciate and respect them all. Your leaders who are over you in the Lord and those who warn and kindly reprove and exhort you. Now, I believe the Amplified really is spot on here. He's calling this congregation, he's not speaking to the leaders here, he's calling the congregation to get, though, get to know those who are leading. And I think this is right on the money. But when you think about it within the context of a church, most often the burden of relationship is actually put on the leaders. And people at times want to sit back and they wait for pastors and elders and leaders to reach out to them. And there's a few over the years that have been offended because expectations haven't been met in that area. But this passage here is putting a burden on the people or an emphasis to the people to initiate getting to know the leaders in their church. And again, if you remember, he's speaking to the entire church, and this would have been a letter that would have been read over and over again. So he's telling them, get to know them. But he also goes farther. He said, appreciate them. Recognize what they do. Give them respect because of this role of leadership. And if you're taking notes again, letter A, I said this. Know 
and give respect to those who serve by leading. See, too many people in the church, and this is kind of a side note that really fits in here, is that they want to look at pastors in particular as a type of priest. And folks, that's not biblical. Now, one of the roles of of pastors and elders is to create an environment where people are discipled and, and come to a place where they're also discipling other people. So the the primary role, in one sense, of of leaders like pastors and elders is multiplication. And I think we forget that. We tend to put the onus on pastors for doing a lot of the things that should be already going on within the body, and you'll see this. But here's where I've got to go even a little bit farther. There's some challenges here. The words over you, you catch those words, those that are over you? Again, I think there's a challenge in our interpretation of that particular word. Because when you go back to the teachings of Jesus, and when you look at, and as he taught his disciples as to what leadership is all about, he flipped it over. He goes, I don't want you guys to be lording it over those like the world does. Rather, I want you to be leaders who serve. He changed the model of leadership and as it needs to be applied within the context of the church. So there's these challenges of leaders have to come to a place where they're respected. But it's not becoming the boss. And Jesus was very clear. So when you think of our roles again, it's teaching, serving, equipping, caring. It's not this over you in the sense of, a, of power and being a boss. Matter of fact, some literal definitions, I'll, I'll just read them out loud, I don't have it on the screen. Preside over to be a protector, to watch out for people, to care for them that way, a guardian to give aid in the Lord. Those are some literal definitions of that being over. But there's some other challenges to leadership as well when we begin to drill down here. And the first one I'll put on the screen for your notes, I said it this way. Some leaders don't lead well. That's true within churches. And they need to grow in the area of leadership. Now notice some of the key things, of, and a reminder again, those, again, while it might apply pretty directly to elders and pastors within the church, I would also argue that the application goes to any leader within the church. Sunday school teachers, workers, men's, women's ministries. And we have to acknowledge that within a church, there are multiple leaders that need to step up and lead to make a church work and to create that environment of disciple-making. But to catch the nuance of this, there's, a, there's a, that strong word, it, it says that they labor. They labor. One who is in leadership needs to labor. Now, in the NS, New American Standard, it uses the word diligently work. And diligently work, it, it's in the Greek there, but it's, it's actually the same word. So it's those that work work, over you. 
that work hard for you. It's implied that it, it's an effort, that there's a lot of effort going into the idea of being a leader. So whether one is a pastor or an elder or a Sunday school teacher, what's implied is that there's this hard-working mentality to influence people. But notice the work that they have to do. One of the, it points out one of the aspects here, that leaders admonish. Now again, this is where I, th- I think we, we hear that word, and, and I, I think there's a little skepticism at times with people, because I think some people think it's this. You bad people, you know, it's kind of shaking your finger at people and telling them to grow up. And you go, that's not admonish. Literally, the definitions of admonish is to place into one's mind, to give instruction on an issue. Reason with someone by warning them because they're going down the wrong path. And leaders will do this. They give instruction, again, with gentleness and by respecting those people that they're talking to. Folks, the issue of leadership is that respect is the name of the game. It is that if leaders lead well, the congregation is called to respect them. Matter of fact, let me show you how this issue is very pointed in a qualification of a leader. 1 Timothy chapter 3. I'll put it on the screen. This is qualities that Paul writes to as he writes to Timothy. Whoever aspires to be an overseer, you could put elder there, desires a noble task. Now the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given the drunkenness, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his whole family well and see that his children obey him. And, and look at this last phrase. And he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. Respect is the issue in leadership. Now hear this, respect is not about perfection either. Leaders will blow it. But respect is earned in, in a number of different ways. You think of wisdom, you gain some respect. Modeling a passionate love for Jesus, you, you gain respect. People see that in us. Admitting at times that you don't know everything, actually you can earn respect that way. Admitting and asking for forgiveness sometimes when we do blow it, that can gain respect. When we demonstrate that we're a learner, we want to grow in leadership, that gains the ability to lead. When we're teachable, when other people are wanting to speak into our life, we hear that and we accept that. That gains respect. You catch where good leadership has to go within a church. See, leadership is not about control. It's not just about authority. It's not this hierarchical model like the world does, like the world uses. It's not a task. It's the ability to influence. Matter of fact, a definition from John Piper. Uh, Look at what he says. Very simple one. Knowing where God wants people to be and taking the initiative to use God's methods to get them there in reliance on God's power. See, leadership is taking responsibility for people, for working hard, for being diligent, 
And this applies to every area within the church. Men's, women's, Sunday school teachers, Awana leaders. Leaders are called to lead well and to work hard in the role that God has called us to. The influence. But there's one piece, I just a side note that i got to remind you. If you are a parent, you're a leader by default. It's the fact that you're a parent. You are called to lead your children. And the challenge, these principles really apply even in the family. Because we can lord it over our kids. And that will work for a little while. But guess what? When they grow up and when they leave home, if they don't respect us, we're not going to be able to still influence them. See, respect is the name of the game even in parenting. But there's another challenge here i got to point out. And Paul more than hints at. In the notes I said it this way. The challenge of leadership. Some followers don't follow well. And reading between the lines, you understand he writes this for followers to give recognized leadership which implies that there was probably some issues in that church where people weren't willing to follow leaders. And he gives this direct command to respect those leaders that God has given them. But look at the verse again, verse 12. We ask you, brothers, to respect those, get to know those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you who give instruction there. But this, this, 13, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. Now, it's an interesting phrase, esteem them highly in love. And you go, what is this? Well, it's interesting. It's, it's in the original languages, it's called the triple compound uh, word. And it means this, abundant to the point of excess. Esteem leaders like that. And you may be thinking, ridiculous? No way. But to dismiss this is really to dismiss God's word. And I think the temptation is to run the risk of of taking leaders for granted. So Paul calls for the people of that church to esteem their leaders. But to apply this maybe even in a practical way within a church. Have you, parents, have you ever thought about giving some esteem to Sunday school teachers, people who are serving your children and your youth? Have, Have you thought about maybe getting to know them and give them some honor, a gift, invite them over for a meal? See, that's, those would be practical applications for us even within the body here. Now, I'm also realistic about leadership and that when you look at the examples of leaders, you just look at them all through the scriptures. You know, this, this is very true. Leadership isn't, many of you that are part of it, it's not that fun. And oftentimes when you're leading out front, your back is exposed and there's a target on there sometimes, and oftentimes it's discouraging. And even in the jobs that you have out there, you know what it's like being a leader. And at times it's hard to feel the weight, especially within the church, of expectations at times that are not biblical. And it's true, though, though, that every leader needs to grow 
needs to get better, become a more effective leader. But it's also real that within churches there are people who don't want to follow, no matter how good the leadership is. And you go, where did that start from? You go, hmm, how about Adam and Eve? They didn't want to follow God. They didn't, they, wouldn't want to, they didn't give God the leadership that he was due. Interesting thinking about this issue because you, you go to a bookstore. I, I'm a book reader and I like reading. But you go to a bookstore, a big bookstore, there will be literally shelves of books on leadership. And I've read a number of them and over the years and, and they've been helpful and challenging. But thinking back over the last 20 years, I have only come across one book on following. You can find hundreds on leading. And that book is written by uh, Joseph Stoll. If you know the name, president of Moody Bible, he wrote it at the time he was president. And he contends that one of the church's greatest needs is not leadership, leaders. He says it's followers. And he's convinced us that we were designed in our original state before sin to be followers, not independent people. And yes, we first follow Christ. And that book very emphasizes that much in a, in a very strong way. It starts with following Jesus. But he also points out God, through the church, through the body, raises up leaders that followers are supposed to follow. And he coined a word out of that book, and it's called followership. I really like that word. But let me kind of give you a summary of a little bit in that book of, of kind of how where he points out. Uh, I'll put it on the screen. If one can't follow Christ, if, if, that's the starting point. It will be impossible for one to esteem leaders and give them respect. One's life will be dominated by independence and at the core, a have-it-my-way attitude. See, people who are unwilling to follow, there's this very subtle attitude that says, I want it my way. And respect leaders? No, nah, I don't think so. Give them esteem? No. Love them? No way. See, and I believe that our culture, unfortunately, our culture teaches us not to become followers. And yes, the, te the, the culture doesn't teach good servanthood leadership either. But for too many people, there's the idea that of independence. Anybody know the name Frank Sinatra? <laughs> okay, you know that name. Well, he wrote a song. You need to look it up and read the words. It's quite, it should be quite offensive to us. And, and the song is this, I did it my way. Remember, some of you could actually sing it, couldn't you? And you go, at the end of his life, it points out at the end of his life, after everything is done, I did it my way. And you go, that doesn't fit within the church. It doesn't help a church to function. And I believe this, when God has both godly leaders, good godly leaders, and good godly followers there will be far more influence in for the kingdom and into the culture 
than if, it, if we don't have both of those components in a church. So the challenge, I think, pray for your leaders, even here in the church, even people that out in the community, different places. You know, if you have a leader at work, do you pray for him or her? See, when leaders lead well and followers follow well, follow well, there's going to be one other piece I think that's evident. And at the end of verse 13, it uses this little verse word peace. Peace. There's not division, not strife, not complaining. Folks, churches will not grow and influence if there is not peace between leaders and followers. And the influence will just fade away. When they do studies on church splits, rarely, rarely is it doctrinal issues. Almost all the time, it's leadership and followership issues. It applies to us. There's another issue, though, here. Let's move forward. Verse 14. I put there's some... Um, uh, there's some pieces to it that I included on there, but I'm just skip those. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Letter B for your notes, I said it this way. Shepherd each other. But did you, I don't know if you caught something here. It said, we urge you brothers. He's not talking to the leadership of the church. He's talking to the whole congregation at large. And he lists four things that the congregation is to also have responsibility, take responsibility for within, with each other. The first, admonish the idol. It's actually a military expression that says to get in line. But it's, but it's this. It's taking responsibility even for conversations at times that need to take place for those conversations we really don't like. But most of the time, how do we work it? We call up the pastor. We tell an elder, you need to go talk to such and such. They are. You go, no, this verse says this is everybody's responsibility within the body. Now, we need to do it with grace, patience, gentleness. That's true. Second one, though, they encourage the faint-hearted. Anybody like this, I would guarantee you that there are people in this place this morning that need encouragement. There's trials, there's challenges. You think of the word encourage. The root word there, courage, to give courage, to come along, put your arm around somebody else and say, I want to help you have courage. Is that practical faith that God provides opportunities over and over? I go, yes. Then in verse 14 it says this, help the weak. And that might be physical, mental, spiritual. See, people run out of gas. And, and they get drained. People feel like they can't go on. Now, I understand the challenge sometimes is people opening up their lives to admit that. But when people are hurting 
It's not just about calling up the pastor and elder and say, hey, they're hurting, would you take care of them? This passage is going, no, everyone within the body is responsible for it, has a responsibility. Then the last little piece there, it says, be patient with everyone. You, you realize if you just avoid people, you don't need patience? Just, you know, go in a closet somewhere, stand, and you don't have to worry about patience at all. And, and sometimes we choose to avoid people. But if you get involved with people, guess what? Guess what you need? We need patience. Because people are a challenge sometimes. Matter of fact, the great theologian Charlie Brown, he, he got it. Let me put a picture on you. I love mankind. It's people I can't stand. But isn't that kind of tempting sometimes to have that attitude? But that's where we need patience if we're going to be involved in each other's lives. Patience is crucial. Is it easy? No. Is it practical? Yeah. Look at verse 15, though. Another one. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. He closes his little short section of this paragraph, and for your notes, I said it this way, learn to forgive and let it go. You know, we don't have that many arguments with ourselves and conflict with ourselves too often, but you think wherever two or people, two or more people are together, there can be conflict. One will sin against the other. People don't, you know, they, they're not always at a place where they love everybody. Think of your work or your other settings and family settings. There's always people sinning against other people. And the question is, what do we do? See, Paul is pretty pointed here. He's saying there, don't repay evil for evil. He's saying, bury the hatchet, and it's not in their back. He's saying, skip the revenge. But I don't know if you caught something here. When you think of this idea of revenge, he's actually equaling the two. So when people sin against us, we think their offense is much worse. And then we go back after them. What Paul is saying is that it's just the same way, folks. They're doing evil to you, and by revenge, it's evil. And he associates it with that word. But Paul even pushes them farther. Because here's the temptation. When someone sins against us, does bad things to us, mentally we know, okay, i got to forgive them. They've offended us, but you know what the tendency is? Let's just pull away from those people. And I'm just going to ignore them. I'm going to leave them over there. I'm not going to talk to them. I'm going to ignore them. They can just be by themselves. And we step away. You know, they come down the grocery aisle and we turn around and we scoot around the corner those type of things. Matter of fact, some people I think, yeah, I forgive them, but then I can still speak evil because look at all the evil they've done to me. I'm not sure if they've forgiven them if they're doing that. But Paul is reminding us, when someone does wrongs, when, when they wrong us, 
It's not pulling away. He's actually pulling us to re-engage those people and actually, what does he say? Seek the good of the one who offended you. That's a second mile that's very, very difficult for us at times. When someone offends us, to turn around and go, how am I going to minister to them? How am I going to present them complete in Christ? You see the challenge of these practical things? But he points out one last thing there in this area of forgiveness. He uses the word everyone. So this is within the body of Christ, it's expected, but also outside in the world. At your work, families away, extended families, when people wrong you, he's saying, minister to them and love them. Hard? Absolutely. Absolutely. Do you catch these practical aspects of faith, though, here? And I think what we need to stop and do is I'm just ask you to stand. And I want to pray for us these elements that we need to take opportunities when somebody offends us, we need to minister to them, forgive them, respect leaders, shepherd each other. But let me, let's just pray on this issue. Father, I thank you for this passage and how practical it is in our lives. So Lord, would you give us the ability to love and esteem leaders that are around us, whether it be in the church, whether it be at work, would you give us the power to give respect and to minister to them? And Father, would you also give us the power to shepherd each other, even within this body? And Lord, we recognize that means looking differently, opening our eyes to needs around us and to become other-centered. So Lord, reveal things, uh, reveal needs of people when people are discouraged. Would you just give us the eyes to see and to help and give courage to people? And Lord, for this issue of forgiveness as well, when people wrong us, when they do evil against us, when they sin against us, the call is to go a second mile of not just avoiding them and forgiving them mentally. But Lord, you want us to actually reach back and minister to them and love them. So give us the power to do that. And we recognize we can't do that without your Holy Spirit. We can't do any of these things without your Holy Spirit. So we rest and we ask that your Spirit would convict us, challenge us, give us grace, give us power to do this. So we thank you again for these practical aspects of faith today. And we thank you for your word. These things we pray in your name. Amen.